Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for the next. Big jab there for Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. They're a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, and thanks to UFC Fight Pass for the throwback audio. I get chills every time I hear Ken Flo call that fight, man. You know, I mean, that's the <laughs> oh, truth. That's hilarious. I remember that fight very well. It was an awesome fight. And on that trip, I lost. I had a bunch of cash in my wallet. That's right. And it all got taken. Uh, thank you, Inez. Lost wallet, cash, gone. So whoever that Uber driver was, he's my number one suspect. Anyways. That's not the only time on a UFC-type trip that uh, that you lost a whole lot of stuff. You and Ryan Bader have a story yeah. for the ages. Oh, we'll God. save it for another day. But a good yeah. day to you. Monday, April 29, 2019, here in the United States of America. This is episode 199 of the Anakin Florian Podcast, which means next week is our 200th episode. 
Might have to try to get a surprise guest or something, Ken Flo. we got to figure something out. Uh, we were off last week, which, as you know, is very rare. We try to crank out 50 of these in 52 weeks a year. Uh, some scheduling issues, some other stuff. Uh, I wasn't even able to watch that St. Petersburg card in its entirety, so I didn't want to come on the air and lie to you folks. But whenever we do take a week off, it feels like it's been a long time because it has been 13 days. So a lot to get to today. Obviously, we will recap this UFC Fort Lauderdale show that just happened about 48 hours ago. Nice for me to have a home game. We got Ray Longo coming up. He's got one foot out the door to Ottawa. Two guys for him on the card this weekend. So uh, a busy time if you are Raymond Peter Longo. And to that end, we will also have four selections from Ken Flo in our weekly main event challenge. We got a pronunciation of the week. TJ DeSantis trying to avoid an O, uh, excuse me, a one and five start to 2019. He's one and four out of the shoot. So, uh, but we got to start with, uh, with Jack Hermanson. And a big win over Jacare Souza by unanimous decision, 49-46, and then 48-47 times two. So a few numbers for you, Ken Flo. I know you're not necessarily the biggest stat guy in the world, but Jack Romanson threw a total of 496 strike attempts. Wow. That is a new UFC middleweight record. He connected with 256 total, 148 of them significant strikes, a new five-round middleweight record, the 256 total, second most in any middleweight fight landed ever behind only Chael Son and 320 against Anderson Silva in their first fight. Historic output from Jack Hermanson, Kenny. That says nothing of the 10 takedowns he temp- attempted against the five-time world jiu-jitsu champion Jacare Souza. Secured three of those. Huge, huge performance as main event underdog for Jack Hermanson, and he is absolutely a viable bona fide middleweight contender. Yeah, and, and what and what a busy year he's had as well. He's coming off of a, a fight just a few weeks ago, and to keep that kind of volume uh, and activity uh, against a great fighter like a Jacare Souza makes it that much more impressive. Now, I, I think that's the way he had to win the fight. Uh, Jacare, not necessarily known for his combination strikes. He's a power right. guy. He's flat-footed. Jack Hermanson was completely aware of that, utilized his footwork, uh, and high output uh, to really dominate Jacare Souza. I gave Jacare the third round, um, it, and that was it. Uh, everything else everything else was Jack Hermanson um, from the groundwork. I mean, he, he, he won the ground battle. I, yep. I mean, and, and Jacare, again, not known for his guard. Uh, he's a top guy, really, if we're being right. honest. But still, to take down a, a world-class, you know, definitely one of the top three Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors to ever com- compete inside the octagon and to beat him on the ground repeatedly and to be the guy closer to getting a submission, I, I think it shows just how how tough Jack Hermanson really is. I mean, Jacare couldn't sweep him, Ken Flo, right? He had nope. to just control posture or try to and, and exactly. employ stall tactics. I mean, this was just a huge effort out of Jack Hermanson, who smiles everywhere he goes. I mean, when he walks into our fighter, fighter meeting, it's ear to ear. He could barely walk after this fight, Kenny. And I know you can attest to this and what it takes, the toll it takes on your body, a 25-minute fight versus a 15-minute fight. Forget about the training camp that precedes it, which Jack Hermanson didn't necessarily have because this was a quick turn for him after the David Branch win. But, man, the winner, right, the guy who dominated four rounds is limping out of there, can barely walk, can barely smile in the post-fight interview. Uh, He asked a lot of himself in making this quick turn, and uh, I think he's going to need a few months before he's facing Kelvin Gastelum or anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. He should take the time off. He deserves it. Um, you know, I, there hasn't been a five round fight where I didn't piss blood. 
Right. That's what uh, I was hoping you would and, say. And, when yeah, I let you there. Yeah. And it's no, it's absolutely true. I mean, the 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 twenty five minute fights are brutal. Not only the fight itself, uh, but the preparation for those fights. Um, it, it takes its toll on your body, uh, and you are just physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted, win or lose after them. And uh, yeah, I, I'm sure Jack, uh, especially after going against a tough guy and and Jacare Souza, is feeling all of those twenty five minutes couple tweets from our listener this one from Laz I'd like to hear from both you guys on the potential that Hermanson has do you think with high level jiu-jitsu great footwork solid striking he could be a threat to the belt holder in the near future so I mean I still think there's going to be at least one fight here whether it's Gaslam or Weidman before we're talking about a Whitaker Adesanya type challenge Kenny I like what I see I feel like sometimes I'm too close to it right in calling these two fights twice in five weeks and having these fighter meetings so I I think you're a better guy to ask than me. I certainly think the ceiling is championship. I don't necessarily see him on Whitaker's level right now if we're talking about the undisputed champion. But I think on any given Saturday night, Jack Hermanson is absolutely a top five middleweight in the world. And and he's only getting better and more confident. I mean, this was a huge showcase for him. He showed no nerves. The cardiovascular strength was there for 25 minutes. I mean, how about just the fact that he just didn't stop or didn't rest on this lead or anything, didn't get on the bike to try to coast to victory. Um, I don't know, man. I think his ceiling absolutely is UFC champion. You hear that, TJ Anik just putting all the pressure on me. I, I, I got I to yeah. make the decision on Hermanson. No, you listen, I, I, um, I, I agree. I think Hermanson is a guy that definitely can get to the title fight. And, and I, I feel like um, I see a guy who works extremely hard. I see a guy who has a well-rounded game, um, who's smart, who who knows how to put it all together at the right time. And he's tough. He can take a shot. He did not fear Jacare Souza at all. Right. I do feel, though, that it was just a good matchup for him. Looking at it, I wasn't quite sure who was going to win that fight. Um, you know, if I was going to pick, I probably would have picked Jacare, to be honest. But after watching that fight, yes, he he uh, he's a better fighter than Jacare Souza. I just don't see him beating uh, the Israel Adesanya's, the Rob Whitaker, Gastelum's at the top. I. I don't know. I, I, again, Hermanson has been proving a lot of people wrong. Perhaps he, he can do that yet again. But I, I think that, um, you know, he, he throws a lot of arm punches. He doesn't quite have that power that you'd right. like to see. Those short right. punches that rock Jacare were great. Those are short shots that Jacare just didn't see. But I think that um, another guy who, who would have landed that many strikes against a Jacare Souza probably would have, would have knocked out Jacare Souza. And um, I think his 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 ground game is the best part of his uh, his arsenal, yes. um, and, and I think he's a guy who could stop a lot of guys there. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he can be a champion in, in that division. Um, and it's not necessarily a shot on Ermanson. I think it's just that 185 pound division has gotten a lot better in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think it's as strong as it's ever been. Certainly, when it comes to the top ten, and that's why even for a guy in Jacare Souza, I know how disappointed he is, but. You know, if you can't get through Jack Hermanson right now, right, with the guarantee of a title shot, I'm not sure it's going to go any differently in a, in, in a Whitaker or Adesanya yes. fight here in 2019. We have a tweet here from Matt. Jacare should still get a title shot coming off that loss, he says. He was coerced into taking the fight. Rankings mean nothing anyways. He did the company a favor. Uh, the loss wasn't that bad. When he pulled the trigger, he hurt Jack. I would agree with the final yep. thing you said, that when he did pull the trigger, 
he hurt Hermanson more than maybe Hermanson was hurting Jacare. Of course, it was Jack just sort of touching him and, and doing volume-type damage. Kenny, Jacare was just so almost defeated on Thursday, right? He just didn't want to be there when we sat down with him, and he was angry. He felt pressured, if not bullied, into taking this fight. And I'm not saying it had any significant impact on the performance. I do believe Hermanson probably beats him 7 out of 10 times because, in some parts, Sosa's going to be 40 years old in December, right? So does a prime Jacare beat Jack Hermanson 7 out of 10 times? I would say he probably does. Um, but as far as Jacare's fighting future is concerned, it's crazy to think that he never fought for a title, given how close some of those eliminator-type fights were. Um, if this doesn't close the book on a championship opportunity for him, given what you said about the depth at the top right now, um, it is at the very least a serious blow to to Jacare's championship aspirations. Uh, listen, you, it, it's going to be tough to find a guy who is more of a um, supporter of Jacare Souza than myself. I, I just when I look at the skills again. You can't be that upright and flat-footed at the same time and fighting at a high level in the UFC anymore. It's just not going to work. And and for Jock Ray, he's been doing this a while now. Um, I think he's tough as nails. Um, I, I think that he wasn't sitting down on his punches enough. His head movement looked good. But you can't be flat-footed like that. That's where Jack Hermanson really won this fight. It was about footwork and distance management. And Jack Hermanson was the guy who truly was leading the dance uh, and drawing uh, Jacare Souza into a lot of these bad exchanges. And yeah. Jacare just could not land with power because he's not sitting down on his punches. He's way too upright, so now he's a big target for Jack Hermanson. And any time he wanted to come forward, Hermanson was gone. Right. And so, so the, you know, the knowledge of angles, distance— um, the proper stance just wasn't there. It wasn't enough for Jacare Souza. So it, it's unfortunate because he really is such a good fighter. He's so talented. Um, but I, again, even the range was off for him to, to really not go for any takedowns. Why wasn't he even trying to put Hermanson on his back? Of course, I, I, I right? don't, I don't get it. There was a couple attempts at foot sweeps and things, but I don't know. It, there was no follow-ups. He right. did. It, it seemed like he really wasn't so inspired out there, John. So I, I yeah. think you talking about the fact that he looked tired on Thursday or maybe not so motivated, I think there's a lot to that. I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's he, he didn't really like this matchup. Obviously, he expected someone else in Paulo Costa. I, I don't know. There was just a lot of different uh, things leading up to this fight that just got me to believe that Jacare just didn't seem like he had that pop or, or that pep yeah. in his step. Yeah, no, it just wasn't totally all there and uh, perhaps a learning lesson for him in some respects. But uh, you would think the guarantee of a title shot would have brought out his best because whether it was Paolo Costa or Yoel Romero, maybe Jack Hermanson was the most winnable of those three fights for him if he just yeah. had the right focus hat on. But We'll see how it goes for Jack Hermanson, but a great guy with a great story, and you can't help but feel good for these athletes that get a career-changing win like that. Well, Ray Longo's got a couple guys who are going to try to get some career-changing wins this weekend. Let us get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Oh, what were the listeners to do without Ray Longo in their respective lives last Monday? Uh, what, did, we, did we get a lot of fan mail, John? 
Was there a, lot a lot of, of fan, fan mail? mail? Most of it just they they need you. So I gave a couple listeners your cell phone number. I said I just call them after you know after the schedule window when we don't do a show. And I know you and I spoke offline. Uh, how are you doing, man? Big week, obviously. We appreciate you you fitting us in. No, we're feeling really good, man. We had everybody down here last night. Uh, you know, we don't know Sundays don't mean anything. You know, it's all about winning. And what a great group we had down here last night for everybody's last workout. Uh, great energy in the room. Uh, and it was just uh, just good. Everybody's on point, ready to go. Yeah, Longo Weidman MMA is not Chick-fil-A. They are open for business on Sundays. So before we get to Aya Quinta and Cerrone and Marab and everything else you got going on, were you able to ingest this middleweight main event this weekend, Jack Hermanson, Jacare Souza? If so, any thoughts on, on Jack the Joker's win? Uh, yeah, you know, I was just listening to you and Kenny talk. Yeah, I, th- I thought the fight was uh, was a good fight. Um, I think Kenny's right uh, with a lot of the assessments, obviously. But I, it's it's hard. It is hard to sit down on punches when you have a guy moving, and he he had a little unorthodox movement too. So I think yeah. that was part of the problem. I think if Hermanson would have stayed there in front of him. I think he would have sat down. You know, I think he does have the power to do that. And look, there were times in the fight he was killing him to the body. I don't know why he abandoned that a little bit, but I would have, yeah, right. you know, again, it's hard to hit those shots when a guy's moving and not even moving normally. I think he's got a very unorthodox style of movement that, uh, that fits him. But I think at the end of the day, for Manson really wanted to be there. And, and the other guy looked like he started out very slow and, uh, you know, but hats off to Jack Right for a guy turning forty to be sitting in there like that and doing what he's doing is I think is still phenomenal and obviously he's a great guy. And uh, you know, I like to see guys like that win, the guys that are getting older, like I thought the glove of Texera, I can't be happier for a guy. He's another right. good guy, crazy backstory where, you know, he probably lost the best years of his fighting life because he couldn't get older here or whatever with the visa problems, but to see these guys win is really good. So my heart goes out to Jacare. I think he was preparing for somebody else who was going to come forward. And, you know, I think he, you know what you're getting with Costa. Hermanson's a little unorthodox. I think that threw him just enough to confuse him, and that's what got Hermanson to win. Absolutely. Ray, I mean, you made a lot of great points. I also think that's probably one of the reasons why he didn't like the fight, because it was a very different fight than, than Apollo Costa. Great, great point. Hey, so, exactly. uh, Herm- yeah, Hermanson Her said he. I guess he he wants to fight Chris Weidman. What what, what do you think about that fight? I thought well, that's a good fight uh, for Chris. I mean, uh, I, uh, I don't think he's the most powerful guy around, but I think he is unorthodox. But uh, I think that's a good match for Chris. I really do. And Chris will implement his wrestling. I think that's something we're going to be uh, concentrating on. Get back to what got us there. You know what I mean? And his wrestling is is off the hooks when he off the charts when he's on the money and. That's what we're concentrating on right now. I thought, you know, even when they were playing the replays of uh, the Jocko Rape, I thought, man, I hadn't looked at the fight. No, I thought Weidman looked great. His footwork was on, the use of the jib. Uh, everything was going right in that fight. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's what helped Hermanson out in the fight, too. He saw, you know, Jocko Rape get picked apart a little bit, and he just looks for that one power shot. And with Chris, unfortunately, he found it in the third round but uh right. up until that point he was getting pieced up pretty good oh yeah chris had jacket in a world of trouble busted up his nose real good absolutely so yeah. i well i think it's interesting for chris now because not only does the hermanson fight make a lot of sense but i think if you're wideman depending on his health and his schedule you can really start to pare it down when you're ranked as highly as these guys are there are only a few fights and 
I can almost sit here and guarantee you that for Jack or Manson, it's going to be Chris Weidman or Kelvin Gastelum. When I look at the rankings, there's just not really another fight in there uh, that makes sense. So uh, maybe you guys get a main event, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if you get offered that fight. Uh, Ally Quinta's got a main event coming up this weekend against Donald Cowboy Cerrone. What a remarkable five years for Raging Al. He hasn't lost a fight in five years except for the Habib fight, which he took on about 30 hours notice. He's a slight betting favorite against Donald Cerrone. Anything you can give us on the fight this weekend as to what your expectations are for maybe what type of fight Donald's going to be trying to bring your way? Uh, I, look, I don't, I, I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I, I know two guys are going in there, and they're both going to fight. That I, I can guarantee. I, Raging Al is feeling good. He's looking good. He He's going to bring it. I'm sure Cerrone, you know, Cerrone loves to fight. So this is a really, really good fight. What do you got for me on Marab? Do you know if he's favored to beat Brad Katona or not? He's actually favored. Yeah, actually, look, because I thought, I thought somebody told me he was the underdog, <laughs> but he's favored to win. But Marab is just an absolute machine. I had to really stop him last night. I mean, he's, he's the guy's out of, he's out of control. <laughs> he's just, he's In the I best said, of Marab, ways. You, I had to tell Marab last night, you're actually not the main event. You don't have to do six rounds. <laughs> You know what I yeah. mean? Now, Al's the main event, but Rob, you're just going three rounds. He doesn't. Right. I'm not wow. sure if it's processing, but that guy just doesn't stop. Yeah. Well, it's always good to have a guy like that in the gym. And I always say, if I was a fighter, which I am not, as our listeners are all too aware, the last guy I want the, the last guy I want to fight is the cardio machine like that. That's the last guy I want to fight. You know, I want the guy who's yeah. going to get tired, even if he knocks me unconscious. At least I can <laughs> fatigue him. Yeah. yeah. No, he's not. I, I don't think getting tired is going to be in that guy's wheelhouse, to be honest with you. But. uh He's looking good. And, again, now Joe's going down with them. Those three guys all have great skill sets. They all work so well together. The way they interact, they, they're great friends. It's, it's a really – this is probably the best vibe of guys I've seen in a long time. So, feeling yeah. good for this. It really is unique how they all can help each other but because they all have such varied skill sets. To the ability to help each other in different areas, the friendship they have, the camaraderie they have – uh, I'm glad you sort of touched on it because it, it seems to be a very powerful thing, and the results certainly speak to that. Final thing before we let you go, uh, I've got a mole on the ground there in Garden City, New York, who tells me that you've been working a little bit with one Pauly Malinaji. Um, is my information good? <laughs> yes. Pauly, I'm going to wow. what a great guy this guy is. What a nice guy. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, very intelligent, you know, uh, He's a great boxer, and uh, he's just working some clinch stuff. He's trying to cover all the bases for his fight with uh, Autumn Loboff, and right. he's uh, very open, uh, and as as I am with him, because you know I could learn more from him than he could learn from me at this point. But he's he's a phenomenal guy, man. He's a pleasure, and uh, I just wish this guy the best of luck. I think he does a great job with the announcing, and uh, like again, just smart. He's very, you know. He's not, knows the he sport inside the and MMA. out. Not, I've had boxers come in, you know, and just, well, I'll just hit them with an uppercut when they shoot. You know, like, he, this guy's right, in tune right, with everything. Right. He's not stupid. He's well aware of all ranges of fighting. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to, he, he just turned out to be a, he's a really, he's a really great guy. I could tell from the, not that I see him a lot, but I mean, from the, the couple interactions I've had, uh, an A-plus guy. He's, he really is. Yeah. What, a, what a nice guy. Maybe the best boxing analyst out there and always so gracious when we would interview him on, on my mouthpiece boxing radio show back in the day, always giving you the time and, 
and not making you feel like the little guy, which we most certainly were. So, yeah, that's cool to hear. Yeah, if you don't I know Molinari. Inter- yeah, I'm sorry, John, for talking over. I watch him even interact with, like, a lot of other people in the gym. This guy's a gem. Uh, he really is. He's a great kid, and I uh, wish him the best of luck. And anything I could do to help him, I'm, I'm there 120% for this guy. And if you don't know, Pauly Malinaji has a bare-knuckle boxing main event against Oof. Artem Labov later this year, working on a little clinch stuff with uh, the great Ray Longo. All right, my man. Well, a big weekend. Obviously, we pay you double if, if uh, Ally Quinta and Marab win, and you double that if they get the finish. So we will not be in Ottawa. We will be there in spirit. We will be watching you work that corner like none other. Uh, have a great week, man. We wish you all the best. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great uh, week also, and I will see you Monday. Man, let's get a couple of wins, John. Let's do it, Good man. Luck, let's Ray. go. All right. Ray right, Longo. Easy, buddy. Every week here on the Anakin Florian podcast, and he just gives you absolutely nothing when his guys are fighting. Right? Nothing. I like. I mean, certainly if I, if I was calling the fight, the stuff about this troika, right, of Marab and Ally Quinton, Aljamain Sterling, I think that's very usable stuff, right, if you're using this podcast as a, a preparatory tool, right? But nothing in terms of, like, what Cerrone will be trying to do. Like, he won't give you anything, you know? Very secretive. Very secretive. He didn't, no, no game plans. Up, but th- I mean, listen, he's the coach that I, I totally get it. Right. He, he's being very secretive about how the training's going. Didn't give he us is. one little peek. Nothing. You know, he'll talk yeah. for for minutes on minutes on Pauly Malinaji. But two of his guys fighting this weekend, he can't give you any. He better. That, that he better give us some stuff after the fight. I'm telling you, right? I mean, my Come goodness, how many, how many listeners does he think we have that are funneling information to Cowboy Cerrone? <laughs> and Cerrone's the one guy who literally couldn't possibly care less as to right any of that insight he'd be like i don't need that shit right i'm just going out there to fight this guy it's my 31st ufc appearance for christ's sakes uh tweet here from filthy frankster john canflow both jack the joker and israel the style bender have had a huge climb up the middleweight division and have changed the landscape of how we look at them now if both were to meet is there even a question on who would win he says he feels the Joker would annihilate him badly. Uh, you're getting strong disagreement here. I think Ken Flo and I, not only do we think Adesanya would be a, a minus 250, minus 300 type favorite, but I think there are there are significant advantages in the matchup. And I also think, too, again, you know, there are a lot of guys out there, Adesanya, for my money, chief among them, who you just haven't seen all he can do from a grappling standpoint yet. You know, so uh, yeah. I don't know. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think that Hermanson could definitely pose some problems for Adesanya on the ground. I just don't know how easy it's going to be for him to get it there uh, and, and if he's necessarily going to be able to get the finish in that short of a time. I think Adesanya just is, is a master of range, and he knows what he needs to do to keep the guy on the outside. He knows how to utilize that long frame. Uh, he's a tremendous striker, rarely puts himself out of position to either get countered uh, or get taken down. Um, and, yeah, I just see him at, at a different level right now. Um, until proven otherwise, I, I have Adesanya. All right, a couple other things on UFC Fight Night, Jacare versus Hermanson. I'm going to try to prioritize these fights, Kenny, in terms of their divisional relevance and how big the fights were relative to not just the rankings but the pecking order uh, as we see it. So I want to get to Corey Sandhagen's win over John Lineker by split decision, 29-28 times two for Sandhagen. I thought he won the fight. And Lineker is also on my list of favorite fighters, okay? Like, if I'm buying a Reebok fight, I'm probably pulling the trigger on John Lineker. He is the scariest five-foot, three-inch man in America, in Brazil, 
in the UFC. Brings a ton to the table. I can understand why the crowd loves him, right? Just a power-packing machine. He's throwing everything with fight-ending intentions. He's moving forward, all of that. But Corey Sandhagen's a beast, you know? And I think he's really a, a really well-rounded, legitimate threat. Has a great frame, tremendous fight IQ. I thought his game plan was exceptional. Uh, I thought he rolled with Lineker's punches really well, minimized the damage, and, and despite uh, that weird crowd reaction, I thought Sanhagen Kenny absolutely deserved to win the fight. If there's a future champion that emerged from this card here in Fort Lauderdale, it's Corey Sanhagen. Mm. Again, I, I, that's that's my opinion. You look at his height at 135 pounds. You look at his ability to mix in all the different looks and strikes out there. Um, I th- listen. I thought he won 30-27. I didn't think there was a round that Lineker won. Yeah. They're just like he hit enough or did enough damage to Sanhagen with with those shots. I I, I don't. I, I you know he swings. It looks impressive. He he swings hard. There was not a point where, in my opinion, where Sanhagen really looked hurt until the very end where that where he had that guillotine. But again, for me, Sanhagen was dictating the distance. He was throwing a variety of strikes. Uh, he was confusing Lineker. Lineker was throwing a lot of strikes that were missing by a mile. Um, and I just think it's the fainting, the length. Uh, the intelligence, uh, the intelligence of Sanhagen. I think this is a guy who can fight from both stances very well. Um, there's some things he can improve, sure. Yeah. But for me, I think this is a guy who really could be a champion at 135 pounds. And John, we've talked about this division a lot. This division is badass. Oh, period. It's bad news. Yeah. And I still think Sanhagen could be a champion in this division. I think he's that good, and I think just his size uh, and his intelligence and his ability to improve is is something that could take him very, very far. He's married to the game. He talks a lot about the value of this experience being gained, even though at times maybe he's felt like there could be an opportunity to fast-track him a little bit more. I mean, let's not forget, this fight with John Lineker was to be the first fight live on ESPN back in January. And I think the the full eight-week training camp that Sandhagen had, which he wouldn't have had if this fight had happened in January, was something that was huge for him. But the footwork is really good. The focus, to me, is really what, what jumps yeah. out of the gym because he, he his only pro loss was, was 2017 against Jamal Emmers. He's never been stopped. And his valuable lesson that night was to learn to always be present in a fight. And that is Corey Sanhagen in a nutshell, Kenny. He's just so present while these fights are going on. I was sort of in there interviewing him after the fact, and I'm wondering, like, man, why are they raining this guy with booze? And so in my head, I'm thinking, all right, American top team's well represented down here, and John Lineker's been there for about six months. Huge Brazilian contingent in South Florida and in this arena, so that was part of it too. But, Kenny, I really think it's Lineker's style is just so crowd-pleasing, and people just get behind him. So when, I don't know if there was just a lack of appreciation for what Sanhagen got accomplished, but I think it was a combination of those factors, but mostly I think it's just that Lineker, I just love watching that guy fight, man. I really do. And and I said before the broadcast, I feel like he's maybe one of, if not the best fighter on the roster right now to have not gotten a UFC title fight based on the body of work. I know there were weight misses and, and the flyweight division. Uh, there were times when he'd be in a title eliminator and miss weight, and so the win had an asterisk next to it. Um, but I don't know. I thought this guy would get to a title fight, and this is a pretty big loss for Lineker, I would think. It, it is a huge loss. And, and in regards to why he was booed, I think the other thing is, man, and, and you look at the fight game, people don't know how to appreciate art. 
people yeah. appreciate batch skulls. They appreciate right. blood and they appreciate guts and all that stuff. That stuff, it's easy to interpret. But when you see a guy who is utilizing artistry out there, very few people can understand it or appreciate it. So I think that's probably why. Um, Lineker does have that pleasing style. But for me, he still was missing by a mile. I, you know, I think he was just way too singular in his approach. He was looking yeah. to take his head off. And that's just not going to be enough at an elite level. Sanhagen utilized all of his skills from elbows to knees to to uh, takedowns to kicks down the middle, variety of kicks, a variety of punches, whereas Lineker is just throwing hooks and hooks and right. hooks. And you know what his intention is, which is, uh, I guess, you know, uh, people see the courage in that. But uh, for me, Sanhagen was just the better mixed martial artist by a mile. Yeah, I thought the clear winner, too. And it was a night where there were three split decisions on the card. MMA Lock of the Night asks us of the three split decisions, which was the worst call, Sanhagen, Lineker, Orlovsky, Sakai, McGee, and Lima. I thought, you know, Diego Lima was a clear winner. I thought Sanhagen was as well. I thought Orlovsky did enough to beat Augusto Sakai. So I guess for me, I would say that one is the one. But for Lineker, too, it's interesting. He told us on Thursday, Kenny, he likes fighting taller opponents. Mm. He worked the body pretty effectively. I think oftentimes, though, when he lands flush to the body consistently, he expects the guy to drop and him to be able to take advantage. And Sanhagen uh, was expectant of that strategy. His core held up and, uh, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that the other thing... Uh, that also prevented Lineker from really being effective there and committing with with tremendous power to the body was the fact that uh, Sanhagen kept attacking with that front kick down the middle to the body of Lineker, and he kept throwing. He was mixing in a lot of flying knees. Just and even if he didn't hit it, he was letting Lineker know, "Hey, bro, if you keep going to my body, these one one of these flying knees might land." So I think it it kept Lineker very hesitant. And the fates on top of that sprinkled in that indecision from Lineker as well. Right. Absolutely. Well put. Beautifully put. And yeah, to activity, right? Like when you even talk about Jack Hermanson, I, there's a lot of criticism being levied at Jacare Souza, and I think rightfully so. But when a dude throws 500 strikes in 25 minutes, right? Amazing. Like there's only so much you can do at times. So congratulations to Corey Sanhagen. Certainly a next level win that, that puts him in prime position at 135 pounds. I know you didn't see the main card in its entirety. I want to talk about Greg Hardy just for a minute. Win over his former teammate, Dmitry Smolyakov. Dana White seemed pretty frustrated with this fight as the fans were. It just seemed to be a huge mismatch, even though Greg Hardy wasn't minus 600. You know, he was minus 320 or so. Smolyakov mm -hmm. with some serious wrestling credentials. He had taken two years away from the UFC to really hone and develop his skills. These guys had crossed paths at American Top Team. They had sparred together, all of those things. But this was a huge mismatch, and I think the, the message that seems to be resonating with people is not that, you know, there should have been a stiffer challenge necessarily, but maybe that Greg Hardy isn't worthy of this co-main event slot until he's fighting somebody that, that's on his level. Uh, did you see the fight? Any thoughts on the matchup and, and Greg Hardy now moving forward at heavyweight? I did not see the fight, uh, unfortunately, um, but uh, I will say, yeah, that, why the hell are they putting him on as a co-main event? I, I don't I don't get it for a variety of reasons. You know, given his history, it's like I'd rather have the guy kind of fly under the radar a little bit and also prove himself, like prove himself like the other fighters. I don't think people are like, oh, dude, Greg Hardy's on the co-main. I, I got to check that out. Now I'm definitely going to check. Right, no, right, just put right. you could put him on the main card, I guess, yep. or you know, put him on a prelim or something, but don't put him on a co-main and expect all this stuff because what you're doing is you're setting him up for failure, I think, right? Because yeah. I, I mean, now how the hell does Greg Hardy win in that situation? 
I don't know. I, I think, you know, yeah, people like to see heavyweights throw down and all that stuff, but I, I think it's a mistake to, to, to push guys. And I think the UFC's willingness to try to push guys as quickly as possible in the last few years, to me, it's just it's it's a little short sighted and, and it's a little aggressive, a little too aggressive of, of a of a approach. I think let the guys build up, let them build themselves, and then you know put them into the main cards and the co-main events. That's the way it used to be, and I think right. that's what they they should be going to. I don't know, my my yeah. Opinion. No, I think you put them on the main card and you put them against somebody who's in that you know twenty to thirty range, and you yeah. see how he does in that slot. You know, back-to-back co-main events, obviously the first one was forgettable in that he was disqualified against Alan Crowder. This one went a lot better, and again, he looked like a minus 800 favorite in taking out Dmitry Smolyakov. I mean, this is a world-class athlete. If you don't watch the NFL, you don't understand what it means to do what he did back in 2013. 15 sacks in 13 starts, 17 tackles for a loss, 29 quarterback hits, second team all pro in the NFL. He was asked to do a lot of different things in his NFL career because he wasn't the money guy and really excelled. Domestic violence issues obviously got him essentially blackballed from that league. And now he has a second chance, so to speak, in the UFC. And I was sort of roundly criticized for supporting him after the fight on broadcast. And I just want to say, right, it's not that I am taking a stand in favor of guys who have been alleged to have committed domestic abuse or have committed domestic abuse, but I'm taking Greg Hardy for what he's worth. And Kenny, when we sit down and talk to this guy, he's a picture of humility and some are just going to always criticize him and say, Oh, of course he is. You know, he got in trouble for hitting a woman, right? He won't even say that this is his sport. He's like, this is your guys' sport. I, I'm, I'm not even there yet. He seems to be putting in all the right work. He now has a wrestling regimen that I think really helps his takedown defense. I just feel like he's trying very hard. He treats our staff like gold. You know, he's not walking in there being a dick. There's nothing cocky about him. And so I'm sort of judging him on that and the way he has carried himself. And I also work for the promoter. You know what I mean? So I, there's no directive. There's no edict for me to say anything about Greg Hardy. I'm promoting him as I do all the all the other athletes. And I'm, I'm trying to promote them and, and put their best foot forward. You know, so. And, and to your point, John, listen, the other thing is, you know, yeah, I think we can all agree what he did, what he's accused of is horrible. But also at the same time, I think people do need a second chance. You, you got to give him a chance to be able to re- redeem himself you know, and prove that he wants to be a better human being and he's trying to change his life around. You know, you, you can't just say, you know, this person did this thing and that's it. People do change. People can change. People are trying to uh, be better. I, I think when you typecast a person and say, oh, this is the way they are and this is the way they're always going to be, it, it actually reinforces that person to be a, a worse person and a horrible person. So, um, I think you're right about that, and he is saying the right things. I don't think Greg Hardy wanted to be in that co-main event. I think, in a lot of ways, he said, "Listen, yes, I want to prove. I want to prove myself, just like everybody else." Yep. And you know, too, when you talk about the Alan Crowder fight, and I sort of felt like Dan Mergliata screamed for everybody to hear, even Crowder, "Hey." If he can't continue, I'm disqualifying that guy, right? And he essentially gave Crowder the out, and I brought that up with Greg Hardy, and he said, oh, you know, I hear what you're saying, but all the blame on myself, right? He could have taken the bait, you know? So, again, he's handled himself really well thus far, and 
going to be very interesting to see how they matchmake him moving forward. Uh, shout out to Platinum Mike Perry. Huge win. Biggest win of his UFC career for sure. It was the fight of the night. Shout out to Cowboy Oliveira with the dislocated toe and everything else in defeat. Glover Teixeira still very relevant at 39 years old. Big win over Iwan Kutelaba who is just super tough. Uh, on the feet uh, and also Roosevelt Roberts you know if you didn't think this guy was a lightweight rising star you know maybe you do now a big win over Thomas Gifford who's sort of a difficult guy to to prepare for and get out of there he didn't get him out of there but Roosevelt Roberts still undefeated Takashi Sato big win in his UFC debut uh, Carla Esparza with a big win and then Jim Miller in front of his four children with one of the truly seminal moments of the night as he got it done there against Jason Gonzalez all right, going to make some picks here on Ottawa. First, we have a pronunciation of the week. His first name is pronounced Marab, essentially, although the file doesn't sound like Marab, but we go with Marab on broadcast. TJ DeSantis, 1-4 and four on the year. How do you pronounce Marab's last name? You can give me the full thing if you want, my man. Well, I've heard you say Marab, and I heard Ray Longo say Marab, so I think this man only goes by one name, but if I have to say the whole entire thing, it is Marab Shvili. All right, let's hear him. Merab Twalishwili. Merab Twalishwili. Dang. Twalishwili. So it's Merab Twalishwili. It's not Twalishwili as I think we pronounced it. Ken Flo at his last fight uh, in September. So. <laughs> TJ, just like it's spelled, bro. That, that's Come on, a, man. Uh, yeah. that, that's a big like switch. Come on now. Well, what's not fair about this one is that I think we actually butchered this guy's name in his last fight in September. Uh, so I apologize for that. But going forward, yes, it is not the V sound. It is Marab Dwalishwili. And he fights Brad Katona this weekend. One of four Jeez. picks coming your way today. You got something else, TJ, before we, let, before we move on here? What? No, no. I, I just That's not in the win column? One in five now? It's yeah. one in five. And, I, you know... I, I don't even know if you're – at least this week, I don't think you're you're throwing it for, for the sake of a better segment. Uh, we'll try to give you a cupcake next week, but we're going to pick Barab's fight here coming up. One of four Ken Flo selections coming your way in the award-winning main event challenge. Let's get to it. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. One and five in the pronunciation of the week. Unbelievable. All right. Team Anik led Team Florian going into UFC St. Petersburg. We did not make picks for the Sunrise Florida card, but you did beat Antoine Hood a couple weeks ago, Ken Flo. Five to three. The key underdog win for you, Shamil Abdurahimov over Marcin Tabora. Uh, so the lead now 57 to 42 and with us to make picks today. Listeners, since episode one. Must be a big Kenflow fan here. Jared Rivera is with us. Jared, how are you, man? Hey, what's up, guys? Good. Thanks for having me on. It's our absolute pleasure, man. I appreciate you holding and appreciate the support of the show. We're going to get to the picks here. Four of them today. All four can be seen as part of the main card, UFC Fight Night. Iaquinta versus Cowboy Live on ESPN+. Plus. So, Marab, I mean, i got to look back at the phonetics. Dwali Shwili, we'll say Marab, minus 145, the favorite here at Bantamweight against Brad Katona. The Canadian is the plus 115 underdog. Jared Rivera, who do you like? Yeah, yeah. So um, Marab does train out of that famous Sir Longo fight team. I know uh, I know. Um, Ray Longo is real upset about that controversial loss to Ricky Simone on the show. Um, right. He's definitely showed improved striking. He has that relentless like kind of pressure style. 
Um, I think if he's going to get it done, it's going to be that way. Um, Catone, um, I do remember him from the Ultimate Fighter by now at SBG team. Um, I think if he sets up his counter-striking off that pressure and maybe some offensive wrestling, uh, I think he pulls out the victory in his home country of Canada. Yeah, it's good analysis. Kenny, I thought Catone would be a slight favorite. Uh, he is a slight underdog here. As Jared mentioned, trains out of SBG. Winnipeg kid, though, he's 9-0 overall, 2-0 in the UFC. Had a great win, I thought, over Matthew Lopez his last time out. Marab coming off his first UFC win against Terrion Ware last September. Close fight on paper, kid. Who do you like? It is. Uh, listen, this is going to be a tough one uh, for Marab. I-, I think Marab probably has a little bit more power. I, I think he hits hard, but I, I think he's a little bit more stiff. Katona uh, knows how to move his body a little bit better. He's more fluid overall. Um, And yeah, I I just think Katona probably, I think it's going to be a close one. I'm going to go with Katona uh, by, by decision. My favorite part of the Anakin Florian podcast is when you pick against Longo's. I know Longo. Oh, Longo's going to give it to me. Especially you pick against his guys all the time. Not all that time. No, I know you have a, actually you have a great record. Overall, picking <laughs> Longo's fights, um, especially when you pick against Chris Weidman. All right, we got to oh, move on. God. Next fight uh, at featherweight. Uh, I'm sorry, kid. I'm sorry. Just mean. <laughs> I'm underslept. I'm underslept. <laughs> All right, Jared, what do you think about this featherweight fight? Strong matchmaking, in my opinion, here. Shane Burgos, minus 160. Cub Swanson, plus 130. Jared, which way are you going? Oh, yeah, I definitely like the matchup. Uh, Cubs definitely been in that situation, you know, the you know the veteran versus the, the up-and-comer. Um, he has fell short in, you know, those previous situations with the exception of the Korean Superboy fight. Um, I think Shane has been very impressive, <clears throat> excuse me, impressive throughout his UFC career. Um, he was looking good in all of his fights, um, you know, striking, you know, showing submissions and everything. Um, I definitely think Shane, Shane gets the W in this one. Um probably first round. All right, Shane Burgos' favorite here. He had 10 months off after that first career loss, which came against Calvin Cater at UFC 220. Returned last November, submitted Kurt Hollibow in round one. He's 11-1 and one overall. Takes on the 35-year-old Kenny Killer Cub, the now father of three, 25-10 overall. He's won four. No, he hasn't. He did win four straight, though, from April of 2016 to April of 2017. He has dropped his last three, Brian Ortega, Frankie Edgar. Hanato Moicano. You think Swanson gets off the schneid here or what? Listen, I think Burgos is a very tough fight. Um, you know, he's tall for the division. He's big, mixes things up well. I don't like the way that he has progressed. By that, I mean, I, I expected him to be a lot better at this point in his career. And I think Cub Swanson still has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. Um, and, hey, listen, you're 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 real real nasty today. Obviously, I, huh. I, he's got three. You have three kids. Cub Swanson yeah. has three kids. That's gonna bring it out of you, man. That 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 nasty hunger, right? So I, I think Cub Swanson gets it done. I like a lot of the underdogs here on this card, John. Dude, and I'm telling you, he has yet to win a fight since becoming a father. I really think you get his hungriest, angriest yeah. best on Saturday three night. Kids, we'll see if it's me? enough against uh, Shade Burgos. All right, co-main event features in my mind. One of the more underappreciated middleweights out there, Elias Theodoro, slightly favored here, minus 130 against the even-money underdog Derek Brunson. Not a great 2018 for Brunson. Two appearances, both of them knockout losses to Jacare, and then more recently the interim middleweight champion Israel Adesanya. Last four fights for Brunson, Jared, have all ended in round one. You like Brunson here, or are you going with Elias Theodoro? Well, uh, well, Kempel, I'm sure, uh, as you can relate, Elias does have some of the best pound-for-pound hair and looks in the game and the skills <laughs> to back it up. 
does. Yeah, he is coming off of you know eight eight wins of his last ten, um, and kind of yeah, like uh, like John mentioned, kind of is uh, underrated. Um, Derek is coming off those two bad losses against the top of the division from uh, Stylebender and Chakri. Um, he is very explosive and and kind of one of those fighters whether he's coming to knock you out or get knocked out. Um, I think Elias does get it done um, via decision in this one. Um, I think it just nullifies um, Brunson striking and, you know, gets that decision. All right, Jared's going with Elias Theodoro by decision. There have been a lot of decisions, Kenny. Theodoro doesn't have the greatest highlight reel in the sport. Uh, I don't love the ring boy routine. I think he needs a haircut, but the object is winning, <laughs> and he's been very effective when it comes to that part of the job. Eight UFC wins, only losses on the cards to Brad Tavares. Oh, and the soon-to-be light heavyweight title challenger, Tiago Mahetta Santos. The body of work for Theodoro is outstanding. As such, he's the favorite here. Do you like him against Eric Brunson? He has great hair, I must admit. I don't like his fighting style, uh, however, um, but he gets it done, right? And that's what matters at the end of the day, getting the Ws. Um, However, I don't love this matchup for him. Derek Brunson's a guy who I think can do what Elias does a little bit better. I think his takedowns are a little bit better. I think Derek can score some of those takedowns against Elias. Um, Elias is a very unorthodox out that that's for sure. He's just very awkward on the feet and he's tough to get your timing against Derek Brunson doesn't really require that though. I think he's unorthodox in his approach and loves, loves to swing hard shots. I, I like Derek Brunson here. Uh, I, I think he gets it done now. Right now, is he even? Would I get underdog points for this? Absolutely, you do. I would. Absolutely. All right. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. You get the underdog points there. Brunson is the even money underdog right now. All right. I'm drinking Saturday night, folks. I am going to get a buzz on for this main event. Ally Quinta minus 135. Donald Cowboy Cerrone plus 105. Jared, this is the headliner as such. We'll need the round and the method of victory. Who wins the main event in Ottawa, my man? Yeah, so uh, Raging Out's definitely been, you know, one of the most underrated fighters in the UFC, finally kind of getting his due, um, you know, especially after that Khabib fight. Uh, he's gotten healthy now. Um, he had those, like, nagging, I think it was knee injuries. Um, Cowboys look good in his last two fights at 170, um, but he is three out of his last, or he's only won three of the last four, or last seven fights, I'm sorry. Um, I think the weight cut back down to 155 is going to be a huge factor. Um, he really would benefit from that uh 165-pound division that can't seem to get started. Um, as much as it pains me, you know, being from Southern Mexico, picking against Cowboy, I, I definitely think Raging Out gets, uh, gets a done TK on the first. I think he digs into wow. the body and then finishes up against the fence. How about that? Ray Longo will like that prediction from Jared Rivera, ally Quinta by round one TKO. Jared, great job, man. You might be actually one of the last guest pickers we ever have because we might be changing the formatics of the main event challenge. So we we appreciate you coming on. Great job with the picks, and uh, we will talk to you soon, my man. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Jared. you guys for having me. All right, Jared Rivera making picks for Team Anik, trying to extend this 15-point lead. Kenny will need your main event selection. Iaquinta has won six of his last seven. He is the favorite against Donald Cerrone, who is really trying to make one more lightweight run here. And I think his son is a huge motivator and something that has really helped him in terms of the discipline. Uh, The win over Alexander Hernandez by stoppage in January, he was the betting underdog, I believe. Really a huge step towards lightweight contention because it put Cerrone right back in the mix, got him a number eight next to his name at lightweight. Now he gets the number four guy in the world. In his 31st UFC appearance, Cerrone plus 105, Iaquinta minus 135. Which way are you going? 
Listen, a lot of how we were talking about Jack Hermanson and, and the difference in hunger between him and Jacare Souza. When you're a hungry fighter, that really is the jet fuel uh, behind what you can do in the UFC. And I think, um, you know, Donald Cerrone certainly has picked it up. I, I think he is um, very motivated going back down at 155 pounds. I think he has a lot of skills. I think he uh, is dangerous both on the feet and on the ground. However, he's facing another very hungry guy in Ally Aquinta. And I also love the way that Ally Aquinta matches up against Donald Cerrone. You got to be a very good boxer who can pressure fighters, who can be tough, who's not afraid to be in the pocket. That's how you beat a Donald Cerrone, by being in the pocket and getting right in front of him and backing him up repeatedly, all the while being able to stop those takedown attempts. I think Ally Quinta is that guy. Um, I don't think he gets it done by knockout. I'm going to go with Al Iaquinta by decision and proving you wrong that I always pick against Ray Longo's guys, John Adam. Get it. out I of I love here. it. I'm going to text him right after the show and say, hey, just so you know, Ken Flo picked Al. Oh, and he'll be happy to oh, know that Jared better, did as well. All right, last thing before we let you go from one of our listeners with this Abu Dhabi news. If you didn't hear it, not only will UFC 242 be in Abu Dhabi on September 7th, but it looks like Abu Dhabi's getting a title fight, I think, for the Ooh. next five years. Uh, get the passports ready. Uh, and the listener just wants to know the most memorable or the best place that you or I have ever called fights or, in your case, having fought. Uh, you know, the, it's hard to beat Australia when it comes to a lot of things, right? The food, they speak our native tongue, which I know for you isn't as much of an issue as it is for me. It just takes forever to get there, right? So it's it's not always the first thing out of my mouth because it takes so goddamn long to get there. I mean, I loved going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right? Like I thought it was America's most underrated city. Ken Flo, you've been everywhere. Uh, uh, what's your favorite spot? A, a tough question, man. I think my favorite fight that I called with you is, is correct. It, it was in Australia, man. Um, every time we go there, the fans are just absolutely yeah. going ballistic out there. Uh, and, and, you know, we did a lot of those shows at like 6, 7 in the morning, and they still were oh, just there. I, in, I mean, showing up for the prelims and going nuts the whole freaking time. So, yeah, I agree with you on Australia. But I think probably my best uh, fight commentary memory is when I called my first one in, in Montreal. When I called the first card in Montreal, I had the, 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 the cans on, the headphones on. I couldn't even hear myself. Um, I, it was so loud in there. It was for a GSP uh, against Matt Serafite. It was the rematch. Uh, and it was just electric in there. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I'll, I will never forget that. And every time when I fought uh, or, or visited Canada, the fans were just ridiculous. Being in Vancouver, going out with the Boston Bruins jersey, they all wanted to kill me, but I, I love them anyway. It was great. Yeah. yeah, I do think per capita, Canada has the loudest crowds, right, in terms of how much noise each individual human being makes. Yeah, they're, they're knowledgeable great. Great as well. Yeah. Yep. And of course, Brazil will always have a special place yes. in my heart and in yours as well. I think I've called fights other than the U.S., certainly more in Brazil, I think 27 shows. And uh, again, a fight atmosphere that is a performance-enhancing drug for commentators. Yes. You know, it really is a special thing when you go to some of these places and it's packed to the nines for the first fight of the night. You know, it makes a huge di difference Absolutely. for us uh, on the cans. All right, we got to get out of here. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, next week, it is our 200th episode. We trotted out Forrest Griffin for episode number 100. So got to come up with something. I don't know if it's like a Henato Laranja or what we do for next <laughs> week or... Uh, if we try to get you somebody high profile on the UFC side, if you have suggestions for who you'd like to hear 
on the 200th episode of the Anakin Florian Podcast next week. Feel free to fire away on Twitter. It's at Pod. Thanks to Ray Longo, Jared Rivera, TJ DeSantis. Next week, of course, you'll also get a full preview of UFC 237. Nama Yunus versus Andrade, which beckons on May 11th from Rio de Janeiro. With that for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thank you all. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll talk to you next month at the same time. Until then, go fucking late. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.